never see the ABC celebrating Australia, celebrating our country. We're one of the greatest democracies in the world, one of the oldest democracies in the world. Uh, we should be celebrating that. But this is what identity politics does. It pits Australians against each other. The great Australian spirit of egalitarianism is broken down by this obsession with identity. I mean, not everything has to be about race. Not everything has to be about gender or, or, or LGTB issues or d disability issues. Welcome to the Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro, and with me, as always, is Ricky Allpike. Ricky, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, do you watch much ABC? I, I, I've seen the ABC. Yes. Yes, you're you're, you're aware of the ABC. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, <laughs> I know it. I know about it. Yeah. <laughs> I try and stay away from it, to be honest with you. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, apart from the one show I do watch, which is Bluey my son oh yeah uh, i don't watch much abc anymore i guess i used to but uh it's largely unwatchable <laughs> absolutely well we have a special guest today to talk about how unwatchable the abc is uh, uh evan mulholland is here with us here to talk about his wonderful podcast uh let's get into it ricky let's do it Evan Mulholland is Director of Communications at the Institute of Public Affairs. He graduated from La Trobe with a BA in Politics and Drama and Theatre. He's worked for state and federal parliamentarians and has written pieces for The Australian, The Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, The Herald Sun, The Spectator and The Courier Mail. He's appeared as commentator on Sky News Australia, Network 10, ABC News Radio and 3AW. His principled views on classic liberalism and rhetorical skill are on display in his five-part podcast documentary, Their ABC which we are going to talk about today. Evan, welcome to The New Flesh. Thanks for having me. So before we get into your fascinating podcast, Evan, uh, their ABC, uh, we have listeners from all around the world. So maybe it's worth starting from the beginning with some basics, uh, contextualizing it for some of those people. So what is the ABC and what kind of programming do they feature? Well, the, the ABC is a, uh, a $1.1 billion a year uh, national broadcaster. So uh, the government pays... Uh, a, a, a bit over $1.1 billion a year for uh, a media organisation, basically. It also has another media organisation, the SBS, which is a multicultural broadcaster. But in a sense, to compete in the media market, uh, you've got uh, the ABC has TV, it's got radio, it's now got podcasts and all sorts of other digital streaming services and things like that. Uh, but in the main uh, to uh, be a player in the digital media market, you know, online news and 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 news services and and news services to regional Australia as well, which some would would complement them on. Um, uh, the ABC was started uh, as really a market failure broadcaster because there was no uh, real other main competitors. Uh, so it would be said that the ABC did serve a purpose uh, when it was started all those years ago. Um, but now I think there is less of a, a, a need for it. And, and looking overseas, if some of your listeners are from the U UK, uh, there is quite a lot of talk about the relevance of the BBC, uh, a similar broadcaster in this day and age. And as I discussed in the podcast, there was, I guess, a lot of jealousy around the time that the ABC was started at the BBC, the success of the BBC, whether we needed our own uh, broadcaster paid for with taxpayer dollars. Hmm. So it's a publicly funded channel, taxpayer funds. So they have a charter, right? a kind of set of obligations that they have to adhere to. Do you, do, you, do you have any idea of what kind of things are in there? 
Uh, yes, yes. So uh, there's there's lots of different things in the charter in relation to uh, how they broadcast and, and and why they broad they broadcast as well. Uh, but the the often things they they get referred to is their need to uh, be impartial, the need to um, uh, be free of any bias, whether that be uh, commercial or whether that be uh, because of of political interests or any other interest or conflict as well. Um, So they do have a charter they do need to adhere to. And there's been a lot of controversy in, in, in more recent years about whether they're meeting their charter, whether they're meeting objective their their standards set out in the editorial guidelines to provide objective um, journalism. Well, who are they accountable to, Evan? Are they accountable to 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 the government of the day? Well, you'd think so. Uh, the ABC probably doesn't. The ABC believes that it's accountable to the board. Uh, the board are appointed uh, by the government of the day in successive rounds. Um, so some board appointments might be still from uh, the previous government, some board appointments from this government. But uh, I think they do. Uh, they are accountable in a sense to taxpayers. Um, they should be accountable to taxpayers. Um, they are accountable to a board which is appointed by a democratically elected government. But uh, at the end of the day, they, they should be more accountable to taxpayers than what they are at the moment. Um, and if they were a private media organisation, they would be accountable to their board and to the interests of the Australian public much more than they are now. And to market forces, right? Exactly. Coming soon, their ABC. What's wrong with the ABC and how to fix it? A new documentary podcast by free market think tank, the Institute of Public Affairs. In this podcast, you'll be hearing from over 25 prominent Australians, including high profile guests like Tony Abbott, John Anderson, Rowan Dean, and Janet Albrechtson. Media commentators like Chris Kenny, Chris Mitchell, Gemma Tognini, and Peter Credlin, as well as over a dozen members of parliament, including Mark Latham, James Patterson, Andrew Bragg, Nicole Flint, Matt Canavan, James McGrath, and many, many more. We'll be highlighting the problems with the ABC. We've tried almost everything, but it's the culture that's the problem. It's bias against conservatives. They don't really see conservative views as a legitimate part of the makeup of this country. It's vendettas against other media. They see themselves as in opposition with News Corp. It's climate activism. So I was told by uh, one of the regional journalists, he was not allowed to interview me on my views on the reef. It's identity politics obsessions. Well, the sad reality is that the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is not happy and comfortable being Australian. It's COVID-19 lockdown panic. There has been no medical commentator throughout this pandemic in Australia who has been more consistently wrong than Dr Norman Swan. It's activist use of social media. Your audience can't believe that you're trustworthy and impartial if they can see that your tweets are not. It's big city and regional bias. I think the best thing you could do is to decentralise and move it out because the zealots that live in the inner city of Sydney are not going to move. And the multitude of reform options available to policymakers. I think that the ABC should be privatised. It shouldn't simply just be shut down, quite frankly, because it's probably worth something. Subscribe to the IPA podcast channel and sign up to the Their ABC email list at ipa.org.au forward slash ABC. Join the IPA today and receive exclusive member-only content like extended interviews with our high-profile guests, bonus episodes and podcast merchandise. For more information, visit ipa.org.au forward slash ABC. So we've set the table. Now tell us about their, uh, their ABC, the podcast. 
Well, their ABC is a five-part documentary podcast uh, uh, looking into uh, all sorts of dimensions of the ABC, uh, what's wrong with the ABC uh, specifically, and then goes on to say how we fix it. So we look at a number of key examples of where the ABC has quite clearly been biased. Uh, we look at its obsessions, whether it be with identity politics, work politics, and, and, and climate change. Uh, we look at uh, how the ABC journalists get caught in this sort of echo chamber mentality, uh, particularly their focus uh, on, on Twitter and what's happening on Twitter and how it goes into their news gathering, uh, which is really unrepresentative of the Australian people. Uh, and we also look at the ABC's effect on regional Australia. And we look at both the compliments people have about regional Australia, uh, the ABC's coverage in regional Australia and how maybe some of their hiring processes and how that diminishes uh, the stories that are told from regional Australia and some of the stories that they've put to air, uh, like the live cattle trade uh, issue, like the Adana issue, that that uh, are detrimental to people in regional Australia they're meant to be covering. Uh, and then we go into all sorts of different um, uh, reform options on, on how we would fix the ABC, whether that be a cut in their funding, whether that be privatisation, whether that be turning the ABC into a subscription service, uh, and, and go through all of those options and, and what that would mean. Uh, the podcast is in a documentary format, um, uh, as you know, lots of other podcasts have gone into, whether that be true crime or, or other kind of podcasts. I thought it would be a really interesting way of putting all the views out there. So I've got a lot of different view, views and different viewpoints in the podcast. Uh, we spoke to over, um, I think, 12 coalition MPs and different MPs as well as uh, a lots of prominent Australians uh, on the centre-right point of view, whether that be uh, Tony Abbott, Peter Credlin, Chris Mitchell, Chris Kenny, Janet Albrechtson uh, and, and, and Morris Newman and, and many others uh, to, to put together basically a, a, a catalogue of, of people's different views on the ABC and how we go about fixing it. You know, a lot of people write a book these days and we'll get, you know, a chapter from each person on what they think. I thought uh, in this day and age, uh, people want something that's accessible um, and something that will tell a story along the way and be really captivating. So I thought um, as someone on the younger end of the spectrum, a documentary podcast would be the perfect way to do that. Yeah, well, the, it definitely gripped us. Uh, I think it's definitely powerful. Um, and, and you do, you have compiled a great list of, of guests on the podcast, but uh, for, for obvious reasons, some of the proud left voices we hear on the ABC uh, are not really featured. Did you extend invitations to, to those people to feature on the podcast? No, I thought it a, a good opportunity to get a different view. I mean, we always hear those views and there's no uh, shortage, short supply uh, in the mainstream media of being able to hear those views, whether that be from Get Up, whether that be from Friends of the ABC and all sorts of other groups that that promote the ABC. And, you know, ABC hosts aren't uh, really shy of of defending uh, their organisation. It's in their self-interest to do so. So this is putting a really a counter view uh, to what people would normally hear about the ABC and and, and it was for that, that purpose. Yes. Well, I... I've discovered this podcast and it was so exciting. I've been passing it around all the people I know, uh, kind of a bit like 
a samizdat, you know, sort of like a, a an illegal copy of like the Gulag <laughs> Archipelago or something, you know? Yeah. Because I know a lot of people in the creative uh, world and uh, and they're all terrified uh, because some of them obviously get money from the ABC and whatnot, and uh, it's they're terrified to even criticize, and so. Uh, it, 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 I, I, they have really loved hearing uh, the kinds of views that um, by that, that yeah, as you say, we just never hear any criticisms. But I, I'm interested to hear uh, since you released it, what has the reaction been uh, from your end? The reaction has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, uh, I, I get hundreds of emails in my inbox our email list for the podcast has thousands of people on it all everyday australians that you know once loved the abc the the most common email or phone call i get is from an elderly couple who used to listen to the abc all the time uh loved abc television uh but have noticed particularly in the last five to ten years that is, it has got even more unwatchable. Uh, there's sort of a brand of woke uh, that sneers at, at people that are more mainstream, people that might take a more brighter look at the, uh, at the coalition in their political persuasion, uh, that have now come to think that the ABC really sneers at a lot of what the values, I guess, that they hold dear. Um, and there were there have even been staff within the ABC that have contacted me through private channels saying I listen Signal. to the podcast and I and I got to tell you uh, you're absolutely right on this point or you're absolutely right on that point and that does happen within the ABC and uh, there are so many examples of that I had one uh, ABC staff member uh, contact me and, and said that when um, when Peter Dutton was diagnosed with COVID earlier on in the pandemic and the news strap broke in the ABC newsroom, the people got up and cheered and, and, and were laughing about it. And, and so you've got this mentality within the, within the ABC that really does make it a collective. And, and I've tried to, I guess, um, in the narrative of the podcast, make that point. And there were so many people that did, do agree with that, that it is a, a staff-run collective uh, that, that really shuts out alternative views. Mm. Well, you talk a lot about the inner city bias of the ABC, uh, the idea that living in the city with with all the modern conveniences and, and fashionable attitudes has caused the employees at the ABC to lose touch with mainstream Australia, uh, particularly the suburbs and, and, and regional areas. of. Uh, how does this manifest in the output of the ABC? Uh, what are the things that mainstream Australians uh, wouldn't be into? It, 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 I, I, I agree on that point. And, and, and you know, we, we discuss a lot in the podcast on how the ABC does have an inner city bias. So I think that goes a lot to staff selection as well. A lot of their new staff and cadet journalists in the hiring rounds will come from the same universities, uh, really live quite close to Ultimo and South Bank in particular, mostly Ultimo. Um, and then it's just not dealing with the same issues on the same level as, as mainstream Australians, whether that be a particular focus on, on small business, uh, focus around tax, uh, everyday cost of living issues. Um, so and you've got uh, a lot of issue, issues that that come up on the ABC, whether it be issues to do with um, asylum seekers or climate change or same-sex marriage that aren't just aren't the top issues. You ask you poll Australians on their top issues, it's always going to be the economy, 
education, health, cost of living, and then the other issues will come behind it. And so I think at the ABC does give a priority in its editorial to issues that aren't being uh, really put forward by mainstream Australians as their number one view. And something I, 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 I tried to focus on a fair bit in the podcast was its inner city views, um, it, its focus on Twitter. So what whatever's trending on Twitter, it will get up as the top news story of the day on its radio programs, on uh, its staff will be talking about it on Twitter, retweeting each other. It, it, um, and it will put it at the top of news headlines because it is trending on Twitter. But um, uh, as I discussed in, in, in the podcast, uh, I think it's about 13 or 14% of Australians actually have a Twitter account, about half of that use it every day. Um, it's, it's not represented. And, and, you know, those that do use it are people that are university educated. It's young people and it's people from academia. Um, so it's really not representative of the views out there of most Australians, most people. Probably go a little further with that, uh, Evan, sorry to cut you off. But I, I think that I think that the, the Pew Research uh, po- uh, recently, uh, well, fairly recently, you know, the data's in, it's it's essentially, a, if you go from it by America, it's essentially a Democratic Party echo chamber. <laughs> 100%. And, and, and I did mention the Pew Research in the podcast and tried to put that out there as well because, um, it, it is Democrat. A lot of it is Democrats talking to each other by a significant margin in comparison to Republicans. And while there might be a, um, you know, 40 to 60, still about 40 percent of Republican voters on there, um, uh, Democrats are likely to tweet about issues twice as often as re- the, the Republicans on there. And I think it's a similar sentiment to you know, Liberal voters and Labor Greens voters uh, on Twitter, where a lot of Liberal voters might not be in a job where they can tweet about politics the whole time. Um, and so they're going to tweet a lot less. Um, and I think the ABC gives priority to a lot of these Green Left voices and certainly has done so. Hopefully that might be um, fixed soon as well. I'd like to think our podcast and our our elevation of this issue had uh, a, a small part to play in David Anderson trying to crack down on some of these issues, staff tweeting, engaging in activism um, uh, as well, uh, because certainly that's cooled down a little bit. Just while we're on Twitter, uh, there's a couple of things. So I've actually, I can remember distinct examples of heads of department in the ABC uh, uh, getting involved in like uh, a cultural war spats with people uh you know even people who are sort of head of head of programming and stuff like that and Mm. you know you look at the time the tweets are coming in it's during working hours you know like it's it's when (laughs) it's when if you go to the bank it's when that your teller is behind the the glass or it's when you know the person's serving you your coffee that that's when these people are are tweeting exactly And, and they're tweeting with their blue ticks with their abc in their bio it's meant to be an official source and you know, people like Laura Tingle accusing the Prime Minister of ideological bastardry. She's the, the chief political reporter for their, their main current affairs program. And you've got people like Sally Neighbour, who's now departing, but, you know, she's the executive producer of Four Corners, their big current affairs program. Her Twitter account is used to tweet the trailers for all the videos. So if you're interested in Four Corners, you kind of have to follow her. Um, but then she also goes off and tweets tangents about all sorts of culture, 
war issues, um, you know, uh, saying that Eddie Maguire was born of privilege, even though he was raised in commissioner housing, things like that, and will engage in these culture wars while also being basically the official account for Four Corners. And that's where there's kind of issues uh, with impartiality that I go to in the podcast. I mean, you know, the, the whole thing of the BBC I really want to explore because their new director general, Tim Davies, kind of having no truck for these issues in the in the UK and has put out strict guidelines and saying you can't engage in activism. I think their activism over there um, was uh, probably worse. You had uh, BBC journalists uh, on the record um, uh, uh, against Brexit and also um, supporting the Labor Party, um, but we're not too far we weren't too far away from that here i mean when you call uh, when you accuse the pm of ideological bastardry and a few other things like that um that's really skirting on the edges of activism on your official dime mm. are there wider calls to to ban twitter from the abc because 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 you could have a situation where the abc has a uh, you know, a, a digital communications department who send out tweets about stories that are coming up or stuff like that. So, so you, you wouldn't necessarily need journalists to have ABC Twitter accounts at all. Is there a move to get rid of that? I don't necessarily think you should ban journalists from Twitter, um, but you need to be aware of who you work for and the fact that you're taxpayer funded. Um, so you know, the, the managing director, David Anderson, has, um, and I believe that the former director of news, Gavin Morris, has told staff, you know, they don't actually need a Twitter account to promote your stories. The ABC will do that for you. So I don't necessarily think they need to be banned, but I, I do think it's incumbent on, on the ABC to make that distinction between I'm an ABC journalist paid for by taxpayers and then also say, but this is my private view as a, as a, as a private citizen. And, mm. and in a lot of cases, we, we just haven't seen that um, from the ABC, yeah, well, uh, but it's really the go the well, the golden age. They'll look back on what what's maybe the since it started this introduction of Twitter as the golden age for those people because the reason they don't want to get rid of their Twitter account is because it's enormously in their benefit to have uh, a Twitter account that's fully merged with their quite high profile position at the ABC. So uh, there's, I couldn't imagine any of those, um, those, those uh, top uh, um, representatives at the ABC wanting to, to divest. Like I, I'm sure when, uh, was it Wendy Harmer or someone had to delete the ABC from their, their uh, profile. I'm sure that was a, that was each keystroke was like very painful. Yeah. I don't necessarily <laughs> think, yeah, that they should be banned, but I, I, I do think they should not use it as a tool for the selection of stories. Um, you know, what's going, maybe for Triple J, I don't know, if they've, they've probably got a lot of actual listeners of Triple J on, on, on Twitter, but um, or on your main news stories, you look, like the drum always brings up the fact, oh, this was brought up on Twitter today, so we're going to talk about it. Um, they literally say that. It's just like, well, that's not what regular people yeah. are talking about. That's mm. not, you know, if you want to um, sniff the wind about what the punters are actually talking about, get off Twitter, get out into the suburbs. Um, and so we do spend a lot of time talking about the fact that the ABC should probably sell up as offices in Ultima and South Bank. They'd probably make a bit of money out of that um, and, and move into, the, well, kind of move to Geelong or Dandenong or, you know, in Sydney, move up to Central Coast or somewhere like that because then you're actually getting out there 
uh, with with normal people, a different type of uh, of, of people to what they've be, become used to. Yeah. Well, you've mentioned a, a, a key aspect there, I think, which is which is geography, and I want to touch on that. Uh, touch on that. But before before I, I do that, maybe some of this could be addressed by reducing the number of university educated employees in favour of, say, apprenticeships uh, or cadetships. Um, because, you know, some of our most celebrated media figures never went, uh, and journalists never went to university. Exactly. You, you know, you've got people that are, are journalists that are former lawyers, people that have been in small business, then gone into journalism. Uh, I don't think necessarily think of journalism qualification is the, um, is the be all and end all in becoming a good journalist. Um, and this is something that I had a really great discussion with Bridget McKenzie with, who's the who's the Minister for Regional Communications, and she was saying basically the way the ABC selects its regional journalists is you have to do a year in a region before you go back to Ultimo. So they'll 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 hire someone on a cadetship, they'll stay in the ABC for about three months, and then they'll get sent out for a year uh, into a regional community. So it's like you're reporting on a regional community from the outside looking in rather than one of their own. Um, some of the best reporting and compliments of the ABC of the podcast was of the long-term regional journalist at an ABC studio in, um, you know, in Tamworth or, or um, in regional Queensland because they're actually part of their community and, and are completely across the, the needs and wants of, of that particular community. So um, if we could, I think, change the hiring process so you're not hiring from the same universities. Bridget McKenzie had a good idea of, you know, regional cadetships where they would actually start off in that regional newsroom uh, and they would be from that community. That way you would have, you know, a good source of employment for that regional community um, to be able to seek out the ABC. Um, It's very hard to, you know, drop in a CV to some of these places. Uh, as you would the the rest of other uh, all, all the other businesses in the, in the town. So um, I think you know some sort of regional cadetship, getting more people that you know haven't got the cookie cutter uh, journalism degree from Sydney University and have worked on a student magazine. You know sometimes it's important to air those different views, and I think that's led to a lot of the problems with the ABC. Is that every single person has been through the exact same degree and has this exact same um uh life experience um and have some reason or other they've all lived in newtown Mm, well given given technology is so advanced now and 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 i guess the pandemic has pushed us more and more onto zoom and 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 that sort of technology has has uh has gained in quality uh we don't necessarily need a huge ABC base in a major capital city. We could spread that out amongst many region, different regional outlets. Uh, is is there a call to do that? Is that something that the ABC is even looking into? I know people on the outside like like yourself are calling for that, but is there any plan to do that? There's certainly a lot of pressure. Uh, Paul Fletcher has written, the communications minister, he's written to the ABC to tell them to sell up um, South Bank and Ultimo and move out into to out of suburban or regional area, I think that'd be important. They've met that a tiny piece of the way by saying them they'll move three hundred uh, staff, mostly on the back end, to Parramatta. Don't, um, they, don't they have many thousands? They do, and <laughs> uh, you know, as I discussed in the podcast, that they'll still still over half of their over four thousand employees will still be based at Ultimo, even after that move to Parramatta. 
Um, so it's really a drop in the ocean when you look at the main production. They're still going to have all their main hosts, all their main producers located in uh, Ultimo and South Bank. Um, so unless you actually um, uh, rip them out of that, that inner city mindset, you're never going to get any different sort of um, uh, uh, outcome to what we're having now. And a lot of people, you know, the most common thing saying the easiest thing to do, the best thing to do, you know, a lot of people see other reform options like privatisation or a subscription service outside of that over window. But I think a lot of Australians would agree that it's probably a good idea to move the ABC out of Ultimo and South Bank. Well, I don't hold out much hope for that, uh, Evan. I want it to happen, but I, I feel like those those people at Ultimo would would some of the the young staffers would kick up a fuss. I think they would be saying that it is tantamount to like the West Bank and Gaza. They'd be like, "You cannot take away <laughs> this is my home. You can't do this. You know, and <laughs> they need my my coffee anyway." So this gets me into perhaps that that this look now. I'm going to intervene to you for a moment, to, to you for a moment, Evan, because now you don't have to co-sign any of the takedowns. I'm, I'm maybe getting a little close to here. Maybe you can provide me with a little bit of counterpoint. So, for because so we're talking about their, their point of view, first for an outfit that pushes so much collectivism, uh, and that seems to be one of the things that they enjoy. They seem to rely on a handful of creatives and journalists, sort of darling figures. Uh, who act like these oligarchs within the organization. I mean, there was a husband and wife couple that ran the two biggest shows a couple of years ago, right? And um, you look at the, the, the some of the lists of names and you go to their their their, their bios and and the the multiple roles over many years they've got. So uh, Annabelle Crabb, for instance, I mean, you know, uh, I can say I, this is not punching down. This woman is cl- clearly a millionaire, so I can I can I can say that she's the chief political writer for the Drum, uh, and has, has appeared on the show obviously as well as a host um, or something like that. Several documentary shows. One of them's got thirty nine episodes. She's a producer on a new one. Guest appearance on every every ABC show under the sun. Uh, she's done elect- election coverage. I'm pretty sure they flew her to London for Harry and Meghan's wedding. Uh, so, sorry to be catty, but is this the most talented woman Hollywood never discovered? It, 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 I, I think you're too <laughs> right. And, and, and these clicks occur uh, throughout the ABC with their main hosts. And it, it's even like across programs. Like I thought the most outrageous example of this, and uh, just speaking on Annabelle Crabb, Annabelle Crabb actually allowed her home to be used uh, for an interview with Joe Dyer, who was the friend of the woman uh, that was uh, uh, that had uh, that sadly passed away. That had allegations against Christian Porter, which he denies, um, but allowed her home to be used not not for her to do the interview, but allowed her home to be used uh, for the interview because it was apparently more convenient than than using an ABC studio or using her own home. So um, you've actually got the, this click that's cross programs. Um, like when Four Corners was under immense pressure for going after the Prime Minister um, uh, for his links to QAnon, I think it was the uh, friend of Scott Morrison's wife's husband or something like that. It really, it really, Close contact. Really, yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it, it was about the third or fourth contact in the line there. But uh, you, you had a lot of ABC staff briefing out about it that, you know, they, they weren't comfortable with Four Corners reporting. But then you had Laura Tingle come out on 7.30 saying, well, there's serious questions to answer because of this and this and this. So you'll always see 
the people within that higher clique defending their own, uh, even when they know uh, that it's such a long bow, uh, but they'll always come in to defend the, their friends, particularly on Twitter as well. Well, speaking of darlings, I'm constantly baffled by some of the figures that are given the spotlight to. Uh, Norman Swan, for instance, uh, who is this man? You know, he's the, the, he's the medical expert at the ABC, right? And he's obsessed with lockdowns and vaccinations. And I just found out he's been working for the ABC for four decades. Yeah. Uh, in the podcast, you say uh, his record on COVID is, COVID is not spectacular. And uh, is it impossible to get fired from the ABC? You know, and, and he's still providing hot takes on COVID to this day, by the way. He's, he's worried about the outbreaks in Ukraine. Yeah, I, I do think there needs to be some accountability at least. I mean, they describe him as a medical expert, but he hasn't... Pr- uh, practice medicine in about three decades, I think. So um, it's important to to qualify your information with that. He's not an infectious diseases expert, um, and he certainly has given weight to people that would um, agree with his point of view, even though there's so many other infectious diseases experts he could have gone to, uh, like Peter Cullen-Yong, like Nick Coatsworth and others, but he decided to um, stick to the people that have been promoting uh, lockdown, have been promoting restrictions. But uh, I, I think the, mo- the, the most egregious thing about Norman Swan is he's been wrong so many times. Uh, he's called for lockdowns. You know, certainly the threat 2020, um, there, there almost wasn't a day where he wasn't calling for a greater Sydney lockdown, I guess, to get back at those pesky Victorians who had to suffer under lockdown uh, throughout most of 2020. Uh, but it, he, there was a, a failure to acknowledge where he was wrong. Um, he, on the lab leak theory, uh, or, or, or the COVID origin story, um, when Shari Markson was originally reporting her, her stories with quite detailed, um, he said that he's spoken to a lot of scientists and epidemiologists and and. and uh, there were, it, it, you could almost, he said, I think the words were, you could almost 100% say that it was not the case. Actually, it's definitely not the case, which in science, so something's never, it's science should be an evolving thing. It's ne- there's never a 100% sign to actual scientists don't speak in things like 100% uh, because they know you can never have 100%. Science evolves over time. And so for him to say that it was 100% wrong, uh, was outrageous. And then a, 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 almost to the day, a year later, he was, in fact, wearing exactly the same clothes in, in, on News Breakfast. He <laughs> lucky said, clothes. oh, look at this reporting from uh, Matthew Knott at The Age and the uh, Wall Street Journal, really deep investigative reporting that said it might have leaked out of the, the Wuhan uh, uh, lab. Um and there was no, I said a year ago, this might not be the case, and now I'm wrong. It was just like, look at all these other journalists that are reporting this. No mention of Cherry Martin, but look at all these other journalists. I mean, yeah. uh, he, and he's been wrong on vaccines. I think there was no acknowledgement from one of the, the most outrageous things I thought from the ABC was its campaign against the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, and it, its discussion of that, its discussion of that was, it was quite a fear-led campaign um, and, you know, I got the AstraZeneca jab the first day I could uh, as a uh, rebellion against all these people that uh, said it was wrong 
And he was certainly one of the ones that were saying it's a second-rate vaccine uh, that we shouldn't have put out all of our eggs in one basket, even though there was no real storytelling on the fact that this is the vaccine that saved the UK, that got the UK uh, out of lockdown, that got the UK on the right track again. Um, and he, he was, I think, the main driver of vaccine hesitancy against the AstraZeneca vaccine in Australia. And I think that did enormous damage to our vaccine rollout. There were other issues with the rollout, I will acknowledge, um, the things the government could have got a lot better, but we could have been out a long time earlier out of lockdown if it was not for some of the hesitancy that were caused was caused in the community uh, because of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And I think a lot of that is uh, blame should fall on the ABC and Norman Swan. Do you think we'll see any accountability from, from those actions? Never, never. They will never acknowledge they were wrong. They will never, they will never acknowledge uh, the you know, impact that that campaign had, has had. Um, uh, and we, we saw it with Norman Swan over time. We saw him say things like, oh, uh, I've got sources that were in that meeting with Pfizer about the timing of the different things. That turns out in Senate estimates to be wrong. There's there's just no acknowledgement of, of, of failure or, or, or being incorrect. And that's not what, what journalism should be about. They should be up front and said, look, we said this at this time. Uh, facts change. Things move on uh, it, 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 with reflection and with the courtesy of time. We've looked at that and that was wrong and we apologise. But that that those kind of things just don't happen. Well, we'll move on from this guy in just two seconds. I just need to say that he was a... Uh, a physician for six years before he joined the ABC for 40 decades. Sorry, for 40 yeah. years. <laughs> four <laughs> decades. It will be another 40 decades before he's gotten fired, I'm sure. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so anyway, I just think that I'm just staggered. Like it, it hit me last night when I read his bio, which I was outraged. I was just like, I can't believe it. So the main point is the ABC's charter is all about, so well, if you I've read it, right, a little bit of it. So they seem to have a focus on social justice and the mar- and and representation of marginalized and underrepresented populations. That's, that's there's a mention in there about that. Now, yet a clearly an elite group of very rich people consistently work at the ABC to this day. So, I mean, I don't know why this isn't talked about more often. Wouldn't another way to co- to combat uh, ideological bias? We talked about the cadetships. We talked about the geography. But wouldn't another way to be to limit the amount of millionaires filling up the roster? Like why should why should someone like I'm only harping on this because it's so outrageous that a couple at a cabal of of uh, people who've had consistent work uh, in uh, through rain hail or shine for 40 years or Annabelle Crab two decades or whatever like well, it's just I don't understand why those people should be lecturing anyone about um, uh, what we should be doing or 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 uh, uh, you know in times of crisis. That's a really important. Issue, uh, point and it's a point that I've been reading about in this book by uh, Batia Unga Sargon uh, called Bad News: uh, How Work Democracy Is Undermined, How Work Media Is Undermining Democracy. Um, but she is actually a lefty. Uh, she calls herself a Marxist. She's or died in the wool lefty uh, for all of her life, um, and she's a journalist in the US and has been uh, commentating on this and you know picking up a lot of surprising support from Republicans. Um, uh, but basically said, you know, that one of the biggest issues in the media uh, in the US is not actually whether you're left or right, but class. 
Um, and that's the biggest division uh, that's causing, I guess, uh, a lot of um, divide within the media on the left and the right. And uh, she makes an interesting observation, you know, between CNN and Fox. When CNN are speaking to people, they're speaking to people um, uh, they think and they truly believe are educated, are university educated uh, and are their version of informed, where you've got others like Fox News and, and, and other networks that truly believe and have a desire to speak to the working classes. And eventually, if you uh, hold that belief for long enough, you're going to actually get through to the people you see as your people. And I find it very interesting because when you look at the kind of people that watch the ABC and view the ABC and even defend the ABC, that kind of prophecy comes true. I've never seen a, you know, a Friends of the ABC meeting or protest uh, where they had someone without grey hair. Um, it's all older people, quite educated, uh, from wealthier suburbs, um, whereas there, there's no real program at the ABC targeted at the working class. Um, there's no one, there's no young guy uh, who's living in Broadmeadows uh, going to trade school. Mm. It, it, exactly. And, and, you know, they, they'll, have, they'll have a conversation about, you know, public transport and the need for more public transport or more sustainable transport. But so, where I can get, is, so I can get to my wine club. Exactly. But <laughs> where, is, where, is, where is the, um, the voice from um, Greenvale or Mickleham uh, where there's hardly any access to public transport? Where is the conversation about building more roads there? There never is. And so there's this complete both geographical and, and I guess, uh, uh, intellectual uh, disconnect from the working class because many of these people that are, you know, are on, you know, they're millionaires, these, these big hosts, um, see themselves as presenting to a more informed type of Australian in their view, a more educated type of Australian, and eventually that becomes the reality. Well, some of the people I know in creative circles who espouse the most socialist views are the, are the young and old are old-fashioned Chardonnay socialists. Like they are, they, they're the wokest people because they've got the most to lose. Uh, like they want to be seen as, uh, it's, the general setting is I care the most, I'm the most caring, uh, I, I care so much, I hate everything about myself and my country, <laughs> or at least I'll say that if that won't get, is that, can I keep working if I say <laughs> yeah. that, you know, and then, but then really um, what they, they're the most privileged people uh, around generally speaking. And and I think that, that I feel like the ABC is, is, um, is their people. <laughs> <Pretty Yeah. laughs> well, I think, I think we have to talk about Q and A for a little bit here. Uh, because it's one of ABC's flagship shows, or at least used to be, used to be, uh, and I think it illustrates the the problems you talk about in your podcast. Uh, it, it's a little woke diorama, really. So basically, the show is a ripoff of BBC Question Time, which started around two thousand and eight, I think. Uh, apparently, you got a panel of guests, politicians, commentators, and artists, what have you, uh, and they respond to questions from the audience. Uh, now, this show set the agenda for a while when it started. It was must see TV. Now, now, what happened, Evan? Because it's completely unwatchable now. It's dreadful. It is, and 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 I discussed this at length in my podcast. Um, on the first episode because I thought it was really important. It, 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 there's no clearer representation of bias than the Q&A program. Um, 
even when you look at you know, the amount of people in the panel, uh, the audience makeup, it'll have that thing evenly dividing its audience by uh, the political preference. But I, you know, having been through student politics and been friends with a lot of Labor people, um, uh, who would tell me that you know, the best, the easiest way to get into a Q&A audience is to say you're a Liberal voter? And it's no wonder that you get such a disparity between uh, the left and right supporting panellists and the applause rate. That's basically the tactic of the left is to occupy all the Liberal <laughs> voting uh, uh, side of, of the audience. Um, but it, it, it's a bias show in general. Yes, it did used to set the agenda. Um, it did used to have a lot of interesting discussions. Uh, but eventually it just cascaded into so many gotcha moments. Like week after week, um, there would be, you know, eventually go from two to one conservative panelist a week. And that conservative panelist would be sat next to a comedian who would laugh at every single um, thing they said and, and, and to rupturous applause. Uh, from from the crowd and there's only so many years in a row you can do that before people say no nah, I'm, I'm not going to do it now I I watched it for a lot longer than I should have um, when did you check had, out Evan be honest come on I, I probably checked out about three years ago that's late um, which is a, a later than a lot of other people and I used to say friends why do you watch it like if I watched it a day longer I would have thrown my tv out the window and I thought no nah, it's really important and I do consume a lot of programming just because I want to see what the other side is saying, you know, read crikey every day. That's yeah. I think it's important to digest a lot of that information, but it's a taxpayer funded program. It's meant to be balanced. It quite clearly isn't. I think it used to set the agenda. It used to be really, really big. And then, you know, they moved it to Thursdays, which is not an agenda setting day. It's towards the end of the week. Uh, You know, often there's, there's football competing and now it's at its lowest ratings ever um, but yeah I, I just think there's been so many examples where the abc has gone too far um uh, in particular i think it, it, the start of its downfall was the the zaki mala in, uh interview uh not interview but you know they got him to ask a question this was a guy that was up on terrorism charges which he got on off on a, te- a technicality uh he was clearly a temp a, 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 a terrorist sympathizer he had pled guilty to threatening to kill ASIO officials. Like this is someone who should not be put on the ABC at all, but the ABC thought it appropriate to put him on to berate a government uh, minister. Um, and then he his question was actually cheered on by the audience, which I was shocked at. And then uh, Steve Chobo put forward quite an articulate defence uh, of the government, his situation, and then said that, you know, I would, I would sleep comfortably at night with you out of the country. And then he said, well, I think you should be out of the country. And the audience <laughs> cheered again. Yes. Like, what you that was parody. Yes. It, 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 it's a parody of itself. And I think it goes to show um, the lengths the ABC is willing to go to to, to stitch up uh, conservative guests. Actually, and, that... That line is almost a Billy Madison line. I think you should be out of the country. Like that is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so so wonderfully <laughs> silly, you know. Yeah, like exactly. Like and because exactly. in their desperate, uh, their desperate uh, project to to uh, to fight Islamophobia, sometimes awkwardly puts them next to you know an extremist mullah or 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 uh, someone yeah as you say who who was unambiguously put up on terror charges and then they go they'll still stand in front and say hey man you know just just 
get that Islamophobia out of here. And you're like, no, yeah. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but just, you know, maybe we could, uh, you know, pick our pick our targets a little better. What do you think? Yeah. There was one uh, recent uh, thing that happened on q and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, where, where Stan Grant booted out one, one of the audience members uh, 20 minutes after he asked a controversial question, which uh, was, you know, he was basically pro-Putin. Uh, what did you make? What did you make of this? It was very interesting. Um, I, I tend to think because they they gave the person who asked the question a platform, um, it, it, it's it's more on them. Um, and uh, the, the best way to shut down wrong speak or wrong think is to um, put forward quite considered views uh, rebutting that view, which I thought they actually did. You had pretty much every panellist, one after one, uh, pushing back against the kind of views that he put forward, um, which was a good way of diffusing the, the question uh, and, and seeming and it was clearly wrong. Um, and then they kind of moved on. And then it wasn't until like 15 minutes later that Stan Grant came back to that guy and said, actually, I'm not comfortable with you being here. You should leave. Like he's mm. the pilot of a plane. The pilot's not happy with you uh, being on the plane. So you could step <laughs> exactly. off, please. <laughs> So I, I, I think that would have been the best thing to do uh, but wasn't done. Uh, and when you compare it with the Zaki Mallet issue, like once it was clear this guy is actually a terrorist sympathiser, you think maybe they should have done that then, uh, mm. you're out. Mm. Uh, but there's just no consistency, I guess. But, but they, um, and they, it they, might vet, have been they, a... they vet these questions though, Evan, so they know these questions coming up. He changed the question right? though, that apparently. That's a, that was what right. they're alleging. Just he, he apparently changed That the he changed the question but... Um, it, I thought Stan Grant originally handled it well. He put he forward his view, so did the other panellists, uh, and that could have been it. You've given this guy a platform, you should own it. Um, and it wasn't until like 15 minutes later that he went back to that guy and kicked him out, which leads me to believe, I've no proof of this, that it was probably a producer in his ear saying, we're going to cop some flack for this, how about we kick him out? Hmm. Um, also drew more attention to the program. They got a, a bump in the ratings. They're now back to their lowest ratings of all time, but... Um, they did get a bump in the ratings because of it, but 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 it's a it's a, it's an interesting piece of moral grandstanding though because yeah I mean you've already kind of said the answer but but shouldn't we be hearing blocking out in this time when Ukraine is is in in a war is it is it smart to to completely silence what we what we suspect is a popular view among probably more Russian people than you think. Do you know what I mean? Like, 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 uh, you know, I've no, I've no data on this, but, but I do know that the sources I've read are, are, are suggesting that that the questioner's view, uh, regard, is separate from whether he called for violence or not. Like, he's he's sort of saying that we support Putin and he and his actions, uh, you know, in that in that region uh, generally. Um, you know, we're trying to understand this situation and to defuse a war. And I don't is the answer to completely kick this guy out and probably probably destroy that guy's life for the short and medium term. Do you know what I mean? Like this guy's name, full name, which I'm not going to say, was, you know, plastered everywhere. What's how's he going to get a job tomorrow? So we've got another Russian Australian who's now sitting there, you know, with hatred uh, 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 boiling inside, possibly. Exactly. And it wasn't like this guy, you know, was was guilty of terrorism charges or, or, or whatever. It, this is just a guy that tend to, tended to have bad views that, that put them forward and was was roundly rebutted in in uh, I thought a quite considered debate and then and then 
the attention towards it was really blow up because of the actions of of Stan Grant. So I think on reflection to that, you know, you'd look at that and say maybe we shouldn't do that next time. Um, it's all very interesting. Given the platform that they've they've given to a lot of other people, it was quite ill-considered the way they handled it, I thought. There's a lot of uh, panellists that I would like to have removed from the building, like sort of left-wing playwrights and whatnot that I, I feel <laughs> have said a lot of things that, that I don't agree They're pretty with. overrepresented. yes well uh we were quite struck by the reception uh that uh, economist and lockdown skeptic Gigi foster received on q a now she she was there to advocate for a more measured approach to covid restrictions and 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 a targeted response uh she admitted that there uh would be an unavoidable amount of deaths as a result but that these deaths would be a reasonable trade-off now the audible gasps from the audience was shock, was a shocking overreaction. The, the, the presenter also pushed her hard with emotional and manipulative questioning th- throughout the show, which, which no doubt I think uh, has uh, contributed to the disgusting bullying and hate threats that she's received afterwards uh, for her uh, uncontroversial expert analysis, you know. Uh, so the, the grandstanding, the emotional outbursts, the elite smugness, uh, the comfort that comes from a steady gig, the softballing of left-wing guests. Is this representative of the uh, of the attitude of the ABC as a whole or is that a long bow to draw? Yeah, I, I thought her treatment was quite shocking because, you know, none of what she was putting forward was controversial. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the discussion of trade-offs and um, really they gave a value to um, human life over nothing else, which is um, in contradiction to what the ABC has said in the past on, on, on a number of issues. But um, I, I think, you know, we, 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 our research estimated that at one point, I think around that point, there were 10,000 jobs a day being lost in Sydney. Um, when you lose your job, it has a big humanitarian uh, consequences, um, not least of which was the, the mental health issue. And certainly um, the the pandemic has brought up a huge mental health crisis, uh, especially among young people. And when you look at the ages of people that were dying, yes, it's quite, you know, obviously loss of life is very sad, but a lot of the people had other um, comorbidities and were uh, in their late 80s, early 90s. Um, And and I think Gigi Foster was trying to put that view, uh, but anything to... To an ABC audience, anything that places, you know, throughout the pandemic, because there was such a heightened uh, tension about COVID uh, all across the ABC, anything that placed human life against anything else was seen as 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 quite morally morally wrong. Um, when there are lots of other um, factors at play, you can't just lock people up every day. Um, I found it. I found it very, very traumatic lockdowns. I mean, you, you, you're stuck in your home. Um, you know, I had childcare banned on me. I've got a 21-month-old now. Um, both my wife and I work full-time. Um, and, um, and so we had to juggle that. And then, and then they banned playgrounds as well. Um, they, they banned people, um, you know, catching up at playgrounds. They, banned, they were going to ban cafes at one point uh, for takeaway coffee. Um, there, there were so many issues uh, with lockdowns and every criticism of them was met with the fiercest response, which was completely out of proportion with community sentiment. Well, we'll pivot slightly, Evan. Uh, Look, the the ABC also has a lifestyle section 
you know, so they've got, you know, this is just one of the services they offer. Again, I suspect dominated by a rather small cabal of people. Uh, now, I'll read you some of what I found there. This might be stuff you don't know. So it could, I don't know, it could be a good learning opportunity. So this was um, on the sex and relationships uh, section. And I know you're happily married, uh, family man, but, you know, the future is long. So this, some of this stuff might come in and play <laughs> at some point. So here we go, some headlines for you. Coming out in a Catholic Italian family. Okay. Uh, from coming out, this is a separate headline. I'll read them out one at a time. From coming out to months in hospital, how Charlie and Narissa overcame the odds and tied the knot. Uh, quote, I have no connection to the date. Close quote. Why these Australians aren't celebrating January 26th. I don't know why this was in the sex and relationships section, by the way. It just wasn't. <laughs> uh, next up, what Shane has learned from being in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, next up, hotness rankings and anglicized names. Your stories of everyday racism. Next up, I was immovable for 15 years. What it's like becoming pro-vaccination in Byron. Next up, uh, a no-brainer. Bella's making sure all her wedding guests are vaccinated. And finally, uh, Bridget's advice on racism and how to be an Indigenous ally. So that's all good stuff, isn't it? <laughs> this is just, you know, nothing, nothing sums up the, the, the way in which the ABC markets itself towards a certain type of audience than, than the, the headlines you've read out. I mean, one of the ones that, are, that I've spoken about before uh, was an article they put up on their um, ABC Life uh, I think it's now called ABC Everyday Website, where there was a big, long diatribe about how um, Bluey was not diverse enough. There was uh, no yes. LGTB voice. There was no uh, Bluey of colour. There was no dog of colour in the program. Uh, I was like, I'm pretty sure they're all the same. Um, <laughs> it's a, like, it's a dog. Yeah. <laughs> like just, can we just get past the, that, that issue to start with that it's a dog but this is a, what identity politics does it pits Australians against each other the great Australian spirit of egalitarianism is broken down by this obsession with identity I mean not everything has to be about race not everything has to be about gender or or, or LGTB issues or d disability issues um, I think you know the great Australian spirit of egalitarianism should be celebrated because we are all one. We do all have equal rights under the law. We, you know, no matter who we are, we all have the same vote. That is really important. And I think identity politics use that because it pits people against each other. Um, so that's why you get such emotion, particularly from its some some of its younger reporters, about these kind of issues because it it, it kind of pits. Australia as we know it as some sort of backwards, you know, backwater, racist, uh, sexist, uh, homophobic. Uh, but Evan, don't you think it's so skin deep as well? So literally in some in 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 mm. some cases, like there's no talk in this section or any of the, in every in that ABC every day. There's no talk of, you know, what does it mean? What do you what does it mean to be a citizen? What does it mean? Or in your or if we're talking about relationships. What do you think of responsibility, of compromise, of sacrifice, of working through mm. problems, of 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 caring for your partner? Of like, there's there's no uh, because of this alleged obsession with I don't know moral relativism or, or whatever. Uh, but then it's not really. There's a lot of judgments actually hidden in in their texts. But th it, th if they talked about in more stoical terms or, or or anything from the ages, from Jesus or Buddha or anyone worth a damn then these articles would be very different because they'd, you, you'd say like, 
I don't know, like, oh, I was thinking about hotness rankings. Oh, and now that I think about it, I was reading some stoicism the other day and um, it doesn't really matter. What You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, like they'd, they'd be shorter articles, you know? Compl- completely agree. Um, and, you know, there's no stories about, you know, redemption, about how someone, you know, held a view in the past, now they don't anymore or had said something wrong and now it's just like permanent cancellation if you've ever said anything wrong. Um, or, or that goes against the grain of of, of what is the political correct, uh, you know, language or or, view, or viewpoint. Um, and there, there are no better examples than those kind of headlines to see what kind of audience that they uh, are pushing things out to. Everything has the, you know, the ABC are putting out, particularly in a lot of their online analysis or opinion, is that there is something wrong that there is something wrong with Australia. You never see the ABC celebrating Australia, celebrating our country. We're one of the greatest democracies in the world, the oldest, one of the oldest democracies in the world. Uh, we should be celebrating that. Australia was the first country, I think, 166 years ago to bring in the, the secret ballot. We're one of the first countries and first states to give women the vote. Like there are so many great things about our country, uh, but... Uh, you, you'll never, you'll never, you'll never ever hear that on the ABC. Well, let's start uh, talking about some solutions here. W- what would be your vision for a public broadcaster if you were designing it from the ground up? What, what is your ABC? Well, ideally, you wouldn't have a broadcaster that is funded by taxpayers. I don't think in 2022 the case is there for a taxpayer-funded intervention in the media market. Now, a, a lot of ABC journalists will. will pull their hair out and say, no, we must have the ABC, we must have an independent broadcaster. But I, I don't actually think there, there is a need for it. And I do think if a government that had you know, had a bit of ticker were to go through the process of looking at the ABC, maybe doing a review into the need for the ABC, you could have a, um, a, a, a real debate about it. You could have a real debate on the necessity for it. I do think the ABC, if it were turned into some sort of subscription service, would actually do quite well. Now, they have one of the lowest market shares for TV in Australia. I think they've got about 15% of the market share. Um, so you've got about 15% of Australians watching the ABC at any one time. But if you look at that in comparison with other streaming services, the ABC would do quite well. I think they've said they've got almost a million people signed up as logins on their iView app. Um, that is uh, enough to form a pretty sustainable streaming service uh, where people could pay for the ABC if they choose to do so. Uh, but I also think the, the ABC, you know, one that, that you know, said I, I would subscribe to, would have commercials. Um, and should have commercials and should be able to at least pay its own way. A lot of people have spoken about the ABC moving to an SBS-style model um, and defenders of the ABC and staff at the ABC will say, oh, no, we can't be corrupted by, by advertising, which is basically to suggest that every other media outlet, including the SBS, is somehow corrupt or its journalism is diminished uh, from the fact that it accepts advertising, which is, is just an absolute furphy. It does make sense. So um, I... I believe you know, the perfect broadcaster, in my view, would not be a public one. Uh, just to follow up, follow up from that, do you think that possibly a, a way to get get that to to get there would be to start with maybe a hybrid sort of a model where the government is funding a, a certain percentage, and then it, it's a streaming service on top of that, 
or do you think do you think that that that's something that 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 you could see happening? Yeah, I I, I think they should they should start with maybe merge, merging the ABC and the SBS, um, and and in part of that merger would be to collect more of its money from from advertising uh, and and rely less on on government money, and then eventually uh, moving on out to a subscri- a subscriber model. Uh, and the ABC are already collecting uh, people's email addresses and details uh, to use iView. It's now mandating it. Uh, I would love for there to be a little uh, Visa or MasterCard option in there where you can uh, give your own money uh, rather than than relying on taxpayers. I mean, if the ABC was was bought out uh, due to market failure, then you can't hand on heart argue that there is a market failure in our media market. There is just not. There has never been more uh, more media being able to cons- be consumed by people in Australia than ever before. It's on the tip of their finger through their mobile phone. It's on streaming services. It's on regular broadcast television. Um, uh, uh, we there is no market failure. There, there is maybe a case for a small uh, regional outfit. So one of the other things you could do to get that process going is split the ABC. Um, so make sure that there is a regional broadcaster for those communities that truly can't get many other media where they are, um, like regional radio. Um, and the ABC always uses their emergency broadcasting as a, um, uh, their role as an emergency broadcaster as a need for their existence. But I'm sure there'll be many other networks, you know, that either started off the ground or existing ones that would love to bid for an emergency broadcasting tender from the government. Um, so there are lots of ideas that you could put in place that will start that process along. Um, one of the things I talk about in the podcast is a proper review of the ABC. There hasn't been a proper review of the ABC, like a root and branch review of the ABC since about the 1980s. Um, and I think with the Dix inquiry, I think that would that would set the terms of what is the ABC. Uh, is it necessarily necessary? How do we reform it um, uh, and going into the future in a, in, a, in a digital age? Well, I think everyone should just go and listen to your podcast, their ABC. Uh, download that from any of our of uh, any any stream, stream, streaming service uh, where you get your podcast. If we have time for one last question, I would like to ask you, Evan, if you don't have to rush off immediately. You you have mentioned that you have a background in theatre. Um, now. I'm fascinated by this because I go to the theater. Now, uh, I feel like the theater's completely captured by lunatic wokesters. And every classic text, Shakespeare, Chekhov, has been improved, so to speak. Uh, and um, I saw a, sh- a show recently, Julius Caesar. It was unwatchable, mate. So I-, I-, I pictured you at these theater shows. Are you going to a different theater? I don't understand. Is this like a Narnia theater <laughs> that I don't know about? It, it's it's really gotten worse in the last five years, hasn't it? I think a lot of a lot of particularly a lot of people that do these shows as well tend to be of an activist perspective, um, and, and you know, having been involved in uh, productions in the past, um, I'd probably be one of the few right wingers. Um, so you've got a lot of the same people that are going through university that will kind of push for these things. So 
uh, and that stemmed out of the universities with, with trigger warnings and safe spaces. Uh, there'll be a lot of difficult issues that will be brought up in, in, in historical texts that are, aren't so PC anymore. So you'll be seeing productions where uh, things that have happened in the past that were okay in the 70s have now been, been edited out. Um, uh, the last time I went to Broadway, I saw a production called Hadestown, which is great. Really good uh, musical, won a whole bunch of Tonys, but at the beginning and the end, you were greeted with uh, a message about Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, at the end, you were to be told about uh, uh, how, you know, given reference to some activist organisation, which website was, you know, urging people to vote out Trump. Um, so <laughs> All a, the important a lot, issues. <laughs> but you, you see that a lot and you see a lot of, uh, particularly on Broadway uh, and in the States, it's much worse than it is here. But a lot of theatre companies and actors engaging in activism and using using their performances as a tool to uh, sway people's opinions. When for a lot of people it's an escape, it's an escape from that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, similar to sport. Um, so it, I guess it's it's kind of symbolic of something that's happening in broader culture as well. All right. Well, uh, I think we've taken up enough of your time. We've got a selfish question. Just quickly, we'd like to know what our guests are reading. What are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading this book, which I told you about before, um, Bad News by um, uh, Batya Angasagan, How Work Media is Undermining Democracy. Really interesting discussion about uh, the media in the US and the reasons why it's so polarising and why the media has slowly become not you know arbitrary umpires of, of disseminating information objectively uh to basically become players in the political game and how that has occurred um it's a really interesting book really interesting discussion and i think um uh goes a long way to explaining what the media is is quickly becoming in australia as well well, the podcast is called Their ABC, and you can find it on uh, all the different all the different uh, podcast sites. And we will post a link to it in our show notes for everyone to check out. Uh, and please share it with your friends. Thank you, and and do go to ipa.org.au forward slash Their ABC. I do a monthly newsletter talking about uh, the ABC as well, so you can sign up to that as well. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Evan. Thanks, guys. Thank you.